My name is Chris Lim. Uh, I know Will from University of Washington and also from uh, living together for a couple years. And I left Amazon about four years ago now to start a company that would take the top leadership principle at Amazon, which is customer obsession, beginning with the customer, working backwards, and then saying, what if God is our customer? So what if we apply that same kind of rigor and excellence and obsession, but we think about God? And really, at the end of the day, that's just kind of theology. It's just thinking deeply about what God, what does he value, what's true about him, and what does he want to see in the world. And then working backwards from that blueprint to invent products that can deliver those outcomes. And that was the mission of my company. I summarize it with this mouthful of a phrase, technology, entrepreneurship for the gospel. Um, but uh, that's kind of what it boils down to. is like making God your customer, the person you're trying to ultimately serve, and then working backwards from that to create and invent things that deliver that outcome. So my company has been around for, I guess, four years now. I mean, I started, I left Amazon four years ago. And since that time, we've done a couple cool things. One of them is a prayer app that all of you can download and should download for free. It's called Ceaseless. Uh, and you can search for the app store. And it shows you three of your contacts to pray for every morning um, so that you can pray for all these people in your life who you normally would never think of, right? Not only your classmates, not only your family, not only your small group at church or something, but maybe your high school friends or maybe your neighbors or your colleagues at work, all these other people. And the way that that fits with our principles is that we look at scripture, 1 Timothy 2, it talks about praying for all people. And when you think about that, in the old days, you might just say like, okay, we're just going to pray in general for our world, you know, world events or whatever like that, or this community. But with Facebook having a reach of more than, what, is it 2 billion people yet? Almost, one, yeah. Okay, like one out of every six people on the earth is on Facebook, for example. It's actually possible for us to take that more literally and to actually pray for every person on earth with only 1% of the world's population. So if at least 1% of the world's population is Christian and to the degree that they want to pray for others, that's mathematically enough based on our relationships to pray personally for everyone on earth. And so Ceaseless is a really simple tool that helps us to do that just by showing us our contacts, right? That's like the most obvious list of people we got and helping us do it regularly by showing us reminders every morning just to pray for them uh, and to add notes and stuff like that. So that's one example of this principle of God as a customer in action. You know, if you, if you began with a human as, a, as your customer, you might say, okay, what are the problems that Christians have with prayer? They're too busy, they're too distracted, whatever. So you might create ways to try to help people meditate or whatever. But at the end of the day, you would end up creating something a little bit different, maybe like a prayer request management app, kind of like a to-do list. But when you flip that, and when you say, what if God is the customer, you invent something that's completely different like in scope, which is let's help Christians to do what God wants us to do which is to pray for every person on earth, even the ones that we don't normally think of. So that's one example. The second thing that we're really into right now is uh, real-time language translation. And I have to admit that from a business perspective, sometimes this one doesn't really make sense. And the reason why is that, I mean, how many of you guys uh, go to a church where another language is spoken? Okay, good, zero, zero hands. So, uh, you know, just looking at the room, you guys can see. Man, this seems like something that nobody needs, right? If everybody goes to a church where everybody speaks English, why the heck do you need this translation thing anyway? Um, and for us, this is one of the tests of our conviction because mm -hmm. when you look at it from a market perspective, it's a really weird problem to solve and there doesn't seem like there's a lot of money to be made, especially when it's trying to do with churches who want everything for free. Uh, but when you look at it from God as the customer mm -hmm. and you read the scriptures, Revelations 5, Revelation 7, people from every tribe, tongue, and uh, nation worshiping Jesus together, and you look at Acts and you know, the gift of tongues, Pentecost, and all those things like that, where people who are hearing in their native language the glories of God being proclaimed, you have to say that if God is my customer, he actually wants this. If the American church doesn't want it, maybe they're not my customer. Mm -hmm. But God certainly wants this. His vision was people from every language worshiping him together, not segregated by language and ethnicity the way that we see commonplace today. 
Um, so that's how that conviction drives us in what we're doing there. So we've invented this technology. Our product's called Spiffio. And what it lets you do is uh, the speaker like us, we get plugged in, mic'd up, right? That mic goes into a computer that's going to be captioning what they say in real time and then automatically translating it to any of more than 60 languages. And then for the people in the audience, it's as simple as going to your smartphone, picking the language you want, and you'll get the subtitles on your phone. In real time. In real time. Yeah. So what that does is it makes it possible now, even if you are primarily an English-speaking church, you can invite anybody who speaks any language to your church, like, you know, I say any virtually, yeah, but virtually any fun. language yeah. to your church. And, they, and you'll know that they will have something for them. You can invite your Spanish-speaking you know, neighbors. You can invite my, my, my Indonesian grandma. You can invite mm -hmm. the people that you meet at your, maybe your salonist or whatever like that, the Vietnamese salonist. Anybody can come because you know they're going to have something in their language for them. Um, and so we are hoping, if God wills, that by introducing this product to churches, to the market, it's going to sow the seeds for something really big, a big transformation. Uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of white churches, I guess you could say, mm -hmm. have talked about diversity a lot. Diversity. Yeah, diversity a lot. And at the highest levels of denominations and stuff, they want it. But a lot of times it's, it's kind of more of like a, uh, I don't know if I can say this honestly, but it's a little bit of a lip service. Sure. Because it's kind of still English-centric. And you might have diverse faces on the stage or whatever, but it really is... Language-wise and culture-wise. Culture, language is kind of this, you know, uh, I guess modern Americanism. Yeah. Um, and so, like my, for example, my Indonesian grandma, she's not really at home no. in a white church, even if people are friendly. And she'll smile a lot. Yeah, but, and she'll smile. she doesn't understand what's going on. We'll give her cookies and she's expecting really good Chinese food and, you know. <laughs> and, and they get bad coffee and Oh, yeah, maybe and get coffee sad, afterwards. Yeah. So, so... I don't know yet what God will do with it, but that's what it looks like for our company to live by our convictions, to make God our customer. And what excites me as a technologist is that we're not just trying to, uh, oh, look, Facebook is really popular now. Let's go on that medium. Oh, look, you know, we should be using Twitter to reach out to more people, which is, I think, completely valid. Sure. It's not a bad thing. But as a technologist, what's exciting is, dude, we get to invent stuff that doesn't even exist yet to deliver things that God wants. You get to be at the cutting edge. So if you think about maybe, you know, this is called maybe overused, Gutenberg, the printing press. You know that his reason, his motivation to actually print the Bible, to create the printing press, was to print the Bible, because before that it was so expensive to have a handwritten copy of the Bible, and nobody could have it. Basically, only the very wealthy in the church. But because of his invention, anybody could afford it. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you have the Protestant Reformation, etc. Et and we're here. And yeah. we're here. Yeah. Thanks, Gutenberg. Um, thank you, Gutenberg. <laughs> so that's a little intro about what we're about. That's really exciting. I, I think uh, most of you don't know this, but for my classes, I do use Spiffio to translate slides. And I, a few of you know that because I send, the, send you some of the slides in your language uh, after class, redacted and shortened, but um, <laughs> to encourage att attendance to our in-person lectures. But I found it very helpful for what I do. Uh, but stepping back a bit with the church and technology, what are some common approaches Christians have to technology and faithy people in general? How do they usually react to what you're doing in your particular case, but also more broadly, what do Christians struggle with when it comes to technology? You know, th those are some really broad and good questions. We could go in so many directions. <laughs> I would say that one thing that I want to say to all Christians basically is you shouldn't be afraid of technology. Mm. That is the first thing I would say. And it really is puzzling to me, maybe because I, I grew up and live and breathe it, but, yeah. you know, I think that sometimes pastors, when they hear about technology, they're just like, oh, I don't really get that stuff. I'm not, that's not me. And that's, that's not true. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, from your probably studies of technology, we know that we consider technology anything that was invented before we were 30. Yes. I, mean, I forgot who said that. <laughs> so, you know, our pastors of today, they grew up with landline, telephones probably. Yeah. and Email. Uh, maybe, the, yeah, the start of email and everything. And so for them, they don't 
they're not scared of those things. The normal things. Uh, but maybe like Facebook, Twitter, or yeah. you know, all the newer mediums that have appeared, they're kind of like, ah, I don't really know. A lot of admonitions to unplug and to escape technology, you know, well-meaning, I think, come from our past, our older pastors. That's true, too. Like, yeah. Not, not to pick on Dr. David Jeremiah and other people like that, but I do hear... <laughs> you just picked on him. Uh, sorry, Dr. David Jeremiah, for listening to this podcast. Uh, I love him. He's great. But, um, but yeah, there's a lot of yeah, reaction to technology is bad. Yeah. What's the other reaction like people like Kevin Kelly have? And they're re- reading Kevin Kelly's stuff this week. You guys are reading Kevin Kelly? They will be. Yeah. Okay, so Kevin Kelly probably is a techno optimist who believes that technology is like almost God's means of salvation for it'll us. It'll save us. Or that technology has an identity and a life and a purpose of its own that mm-hmm. is waiting to be unleashed. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, so that that's a very it's optimistic view. Yeah. Um, and there is the there's I mean there's even more extremes on the negative side, right? right? Sure. Which is basically that. Technology is an evil thing that is causing us to become more disconnected from one another. and It's tied uh, to our fallen nature. So as Jacques Ellul, who you also will read, is a French philosopher dude who studied technology in the 60s and 70s. And his big thing was that tools are a result of human sin and that technology is sort of tainted by our fallen nature. And Kevin mm-hmm. Kelly's the opposite thinks that technology is a gift from God that will save us all. Mm-hmm. And between those two extremes, I think you kind of fall right in the middle between Jacques Ellul and Kevin Kelly. Yeah, I'm not, an, I'm not an expert in this yeah. world, so I can't say if I really am in the middle, but <laughs> maybe Kelly. if I were to use them as foils, yeah. then what I would say is that I actually think technology is spectacular. I think I love it. It's wonderful. And I also think that our human sinfulness and the fallenness of the world means that it is corrupted as well. Mm. And so you have a mixed bag. But the beauty of the gospel, this was a big insight for me when I was studying the theology of technology with some other people at Amazon reading the book From the Garden to the City by John Deere. That's a good one. Um, it was the realization that, you know, when God says that he's going to re- save the world or redeem the world or restore the creation, right? It doesn't only include the natural world, like plants, trees, rocks, waterfalls, Tigers. mountains. It also doesn't only include uh, soul, human souls, like in, you know, a spiritual sense that we can't really make sense out of. No. But he's going to redeem also human creations. He's going to redeem art, music, technology, skyscrapers you know, my house my the tesla or something like he's going to yeah. redeem those things so that the true glory of god that is revealed in these things through human creations is going to also be on display in the new creation that's what i think well along those same lines i i do sense a lot of fear from secular folks like um elon musk and and uh they they're worried about things like artificial intelligence we won't talk about that so much in our class but there's anxiety about ai what's it, what it's doing to our jobs and our, yeah. our culture yeah. Now, what should Christians think about things like that, these big there's forces a, out there like AI? You know, I'm really excited. There's a lot of other really uh, really good believers thinking about this question. There's some events recently we even had in Seattle about uh, AI for good and things like at that. SPU, yeah. Yeah, and then Nate Mattias, uh, a PhD. or The guy from MIT. We yeah, the guy at MIT. He also yeah. has done a series about this. I would say um, it's really funny uh, that Elon Musk, he uses very religious language when he talks about AI. And this is the Tesla guy, in case you do. This is the guy who yeah. created Tesla. Because he talks about it as like AI is summoning the demon, and he's referencing like Revelations, you know, the, yeah. uh, the Antichrist and everything. He's not—I don't think he's a Christian, but yeah. he talks about it that way. Yeah. And so he's very worried about it. Um, and then there, there was even this—you know—the guy who invented. Uh, you guys probably don't know in Silicon Valley, there's this big controversy right now because this one startup that's creating self-driving trucks called Auto. Mm-hmm. Um, they might have stole. They got acquired. Like Waymo got acquired by Google. Auto stole some intellectual property, and so there's a big lawsuit going on. Anyway, this guy, we don't know how he got so successful, but he's already made hundreds of millions of dollars. He just started a church, but it's called the church that's going to worship AI, trying oh, to make wow. AI a divinity. It's kind of presumptuous. It's isn't ridiculous. It? <laughs> um, but uh, it, it's just amazing to see how technology, which in I think past generations has been primarily a very secularized space. Sure. Another thing. Yeah, you only get a yeah. few voices like Kevin Kelly. They're, you know, explicitly trying to connect it to spirituality and, and faith. 
it's becoming very spiritualized now. Mm. Uh, the whole, a lot of the conversations are very spiritualized. Even Mark Zuckerberg is now more vaguely Buddhist, faithy, and religiously open. Yeah. 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 Or he's Jewish. I mean, it's true. Upbringing. It's true. No, I, yeah, I wonder if Christians should be concerned about artificial intelligence with how it will impact our, our daily lives. It sh- yeah. We should be yeah. concerned about it, but yeah. I think that it's really funny because if you look at the Bible, what happens in Genesis 1 through 6? Well, I guess 1 through 3. Yes. <laughs> well, what, what happens? More stuff happens in the other What happens? Well, what happens is that God creates people in his image, yeah. and, and those people basically rebel against him, and now he gets to decide what is he going to do about it. So he can either destroy them or he can save them. And you know, this whole story of the Bible is God's story about how he created this, art, this artificial intelligence called humanity and it rebelled against him. Mm-hmm. And now what is, is he going to do about it? So I think it's funny because now human beings are kind of playing God in the sense of creating an artificial intelligence and are worried about what happens if it disobeys us. That's right. Well, that goes back to the 1950s and Isaac Asimov. He had three laws about what robots should do. Do you remember what those laws were? Uh, you shall do no harm to a human being. Uh, I don't remember actually. The other two were like basically, you, you shall basically do anything that's not in contradiction to the law number one. And then. And so people have been, wor- have been worried about this for half century, which is sort of funny, and looking at new technology. But now we have yeah. really smart machines that can imitate people. And, and, yeah. and you even wrote a, a program, I think I remember this now, that sped out sermons uh, that were sounded like. Uh, was yeah, it Wesley? Actually, yeah, it was actually Edwards. Jonathan Edwards. Right, you tell so if you that. guys are ever lazy and don't want to write your essays, you can just feed an AI a ton of essays and it can generate one for don't you. Don't do that. Uh, and it will sound, it'll probably out. sound pretty good. I don't know how he would find out because it. I have turned it in. People think, people think, no, see, that's why it's creative. It's original. Oh, it's a yeah. remix of other essays that you would not be able to detect I would find with, out. Typical, with typical <laughs> software. Uh, don't give them ideas, Chris. So, well, the thing is that if they actually are successful at that, they, I don't think they'll have any problems in life. Like That's I think true. that they can basically sell it and <laughs> a, lot make a lot of programming of money. going on. But tell them about the Edwards thing. Oh, Jonathan Edwards! I just took like basically one megabyte of Jonathan Edwards sermons, trained an AI on it because it's free online, right? Uh, the, the code is all open source, so yeah. you know, learn how to code and you can do and it. We talked about free software versus open source software. Good, good. And they are now all Richard Stallman uh, acolytes. Oh, very good. Okay, yeah, they Richard believe, Stallman would be proud. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you spat out sermons that were very creepily similar to what Edwards Yeah, they say. sound like Edwards. They're not perfect, so there's a lot of mistakes, but they're really funny because it invents <laughs> new things like 3 Corinthians 12 and his wrath <laughs> shall smote them and everything. And it's just like, it actually reads, it, it feel it has the feel, right? Yeah, the veneer. Of Edwards, of, yeah. 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 Um, it's, not, it's obviously not a very intelligible sermon because I think at the higher level of abstraction, like the thoughts are not connecting. But I got to be honest, as I've studied sermons from various pastors. Sometimes even human pastors generate sermons that don't really Make connect any at any abstract <laughs> level. So... Maybe they this could pass off actually pretty well, I think. Well, maybe they could be helpful tools for pastors, potentially. Uh, they yeah. could be, or for students. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you're basically saying we shouldn't be scared because Christ is in charge of all the stuff. And he's redeeming even the yeah. technology. So for me as a creator, that's really motivating, yeah. right? Because it means that we can keep making. That's what we were, we're created to create. There's a great friend of mine who has a nonprofit called that, and we um, to express ourselves that way. You mentioned the, the, the book earlier, um, In the Garden. From the Garden to the City. From the Garden to the City. And who's that by again? Me John Deere. So what's his big premise about technology in that book? Well, his big premise is that people typically think of technology as either good or bad, yeah, or, binary, or neutral, or totally neutral, or just neutral. Yeah. And he's saying it's actually none of the none of the above. Mm. Um, if you think about it, here's a really simple example: if you invent a shovel, right, is it a neutral thing? What do you guys think? Are shovels neutral? Mark, why or why not? Head. Like it's neither good nor bad; it's yeah. just morally neutral. Our, uh, Mr. Boss. Wouldn't everything that's invented be neutral? Because nothing really has meaning until the people that created 
So that's a really good point. He said mm -hmm. that wouldn't everything that's created be invented be neutral because it wouldn't have any meaning until the people who created it gave it meaning. And touch it. Yeah. And I, I think that that's really insightful. And what I would say is that the act of creation is giving it meaning. The act of creating it or inventing it itself. So creating a shovel means I probably wanted to dig holes, and digging holes are probably a morally good thing. Like it's a useful thing. As long as you're not digging to rob a bank, you know. So it can, it can be corrupted, but I'm inventing it. And by having a shovel, what's going to happen? The, sh the technology pushes back on me and says, maybe you should dig some more holes. <laughs> like, it, you know, it, it makes it easier to dig holes, so I might actually dig more holes. And that um, summarizes actor network theory to a, is that actor a network higher theory? level. Yeah, where objects have a kind of agency. That's a bit more abstract. Yep. We won't talk about that so much. Well, there's class, a very so. concrete thing. Like, your phone yeah. now surfaces to you all these notifications, right? Now, that was useful in the beginning because for like, oh, yeah, now I can just keep track of things really simply because oh, it remind me. Yeah. But now it's already changing us to the point where we don't even have a good attention span. The moment that it buzzes, I get a, a psychological and physiological reaction. Like, oh, I got to open it up and check <laughs> what it is now. Is that how you react? You, you jump out of your chair? Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, but that's kind of another example where, you know, it's, not, it's too simplistic to say technology is neutral or just good or just bad. Yeah. You have to actually think through maybe the actor network theory of like, what's actually happening here? So why was it created? What was the value infused at its... The intention. In in invention, yeah, yeah, it's intention. But then also what's happened now that it is in the world, the creator no longer exercises full control over how it's used. It's going to affect people in other ways that you never anticipated. Sure. Shovels um, can be used to murder people, for example. Shovels can be used to murder people. It's like guns, right? People talk about guns. Um, yeah. It's useful. And Certain it kinds protect. of guns especially, yeah. It can, but it also can incentivize killing from a distance, which increases you know, the likelihood of actually shooting a gun because if you're up close with a knife, you don't want to get injured. But if you're far away with a gun... So there's all these other details. So really, that book really taught me to think thoroughly about technology. Don't just treat it as like a black box that you just categorize with a label and forget about. Think about it. Think about its interactions with other people, with you, with other technologies, and what does that actually mean? And it's fun. It seems like homework, maybe, because like if, if you had to do an exam or something, it'd be, it, 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 it be yeah. annoying. <laughs> but actually, if you did it for fun, it's really interesting, because it provides a lot of fertile ground for insight, and also for imagination. Just make sure you unplug it from the wall if it's a DVD player. Yeah. It's my, 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 my only warning <laughs> about unblackboxing devices. <laughs> Don't ask me what happened next. It was a very shocking result. Oh, uh, ah. Did something blow up? No, I got a little bit uh, jolted. Oh, you got zapped? Yeah. Um, so here's a question for you. What happens when a Christian who does technology stuff, programmer, marketer, uh, someone who works for Amazon or Google or Facebook, and they show up at church and they want to volunteer, what usually happens to them? How do we struggle as a church to help someone like that engage okay. with the kingdom of God? That's one thing I think you care about deeply. I do, because, yeah. um, see, I want to talk about it in a way that is uplifting, but sometimes it's not. Like, sure. That's okay to talk I, about I that think, stuff. I yeah. think that, like, how would I put it? Like, the church has, the church, capital C, whatever, you know, the evangelical American church, maybe in particular, that I've, I've experienced, it has its own kind of goals and interests, and, you know, it's an organization sure. with its own agenda, and whatever, and we try as best as we can to follow Christ's agenda. But sometimes what I felt like is that the church is more about, we have these certain roles, like you can be a Bible study leader, a worship leader, an usher, a Sunday school teacher, a right? A children's care manager. A children's care manager, uh, or the facilities manager, or maybe you can do IT, so you can help us with the website and, like, the PowerPoint stuff. The church Twitter account. And so if the yeah. church is kind of inward-focused, looking at that, and then you have these really highly capable technologists who are inventing technology that's generating like $1 trillion of market value around the world, right? Mm -hmm. From a Google, a Microsoft, and Amazon, whatever. And then the best you can do is say, well, why don't you go and you know, help us with the PowerPoint tech? Or build an app. Sell the Wi-Fi, or build an app for our church or something. <laughs> it's, it's the wrong mindset. 
Yeah. It's kind of inward focus versus what I think real discipleship is like. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, right? Mm -hmm. As you're going to make disciples of all nations. It's to look outward and to say, wow, God has placed these technologists at Google, Amazon, Facebook, whatever, Microsoft, for a reason. Mm -hmm. And maybe me as a church leader or a pastor, I have to see how I empower them to bear witness to the kingdom where they are, right? And I got to see, like, man, how do I help them? Because I don't know the technology. I'm not the expert there, but how do I create those spaces, opportunities where they can really use the best of their skills to advance the kingdom? Not in the cookie cutter way that I, I can only make up because my imagination is limited by what I know, yeah. like PowerPoint for church, but <laughs> really their imagination that the Holy Spirit has given them, how can they invent technology that I would never think of or AI or whatever that's going to advance God's interest in the world, right? God's kingdom. Mm. And then that flip in a mindset, I think could be a powerful, like maybe revival even. Yeah. Um, it would unleash the gifts that God has given to all the people, right? Not only the pastors, but all the, all the members of the body to be used throughout the world in all these places that you would never get anyway. If you're a pastor, you're not going to get into the Amazon to lead a Bible study, you know, like, but if you're an Amazonian, you're already there. You can bring people together for lunch, pray together, share the gospel, think about your work, the technology and the politics and how you can make God's kingdom manifest there. And there are Bible studies at Google and Microsoft. There Amazon. are. Yeah. Yep. It's very exciting. They sing like like praise and worship songs at lunch. It's great. Like in South Lake Union. Like, <laughs> like they did that once in the park and stuff. Yeah. I think the rain kind of uh, stopped that one outside. Indoors is good. Yeah. Indoors is better. I think what you're saying too is Chris's impulse. We did... Uh, spiritual law sharing of tracks, like in the whole nine yards, in Red Square at UW. We did. So a lot of, I think, your training is coming from a very outward evangelical focus, which I still share with you today, which yeah. I, I love. And I think, I think yeah. I've changed. I think that yeah. you know, there's a place for that kind of thing. But totally. what I see is that if you make God your customer and you're working backwards from what he wants, what you end up producing is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like, no, like, you know, today everybody praises Gutenberg, whether you're a Christian or not, because he brought literacy and accessibility to, to yeah, literacy. Read. Yeah, to be able to read yeah, to read the, the world. Bible, yeah. Um, and I think that what happens is that when you do make God your customer, everything you do that's like really nice and good, it becomes evangelism because mm-hmm. people want it and they, and they want to know like, well, they want more of it. And really what you're doing is saying, this is what God's kingdom is like. If you like this, what you really are liking is God's kingdom. You see, you're getting a foretaste of God's kingdom. So then you, it's really natural. It's like, we're just inviting you to experience what God intended for the world. We're inviting you to believe in Christ who is, when, when he's in charge, when he's the leader, this is the kind of experience you get. Do you want that? Mm. So the evangelism kind of fits in with the products you're building or the messages you're communicating, if you're a communicator or whatever, because you made God your customer. Uh, and I think that's really spectacular. It's a very concrete, like, yeah, this is good. So you're saying everyone here should write good code and do it for Jesus. Yeah? Maybe on one level, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Because I think, I think that's one, one thing Christians struggle with is how do I now apply, appreciate technology's potential to my life in a way that do serve the kingdom of God. Like, what are some practical things my students can do if they find this interesting as, as a concept to like so live it out? Yeah, because your students are studying communications. Um, I, I can't say the answers because I'm not the expert on communications, mm-hmm. but we can see, uh, so I'll give maybe, I'll give some context about yeah, yeah. where I'm thinking about it. So, you know, one of the biggest things today is like fake news, right? Everybody's talking about fake news. There's this really good book that I don't remember the title of, <laughs> that was from a guy who was really successful in, in the media, kind of digital media world, and he kind of repented, I guess. Sure. And it kind of was like, this is all the secrets. Like, this is all the skeletons in the closet. This is what's really going on, and now we regret it. Yeah. Because it's created this vicious cycle of getting attention, right? Because you, attention equals money, right? And so if you can get more attention, then you're going to get richer. And so the incentives are lined up in a way where, oh, it doesn't matter if it's true or not, mm-hmm. as long as it's going to be like clickbait, Make some money. We're going to just produce it and produce it in mass quantities because we're going to make more money. And that's really our goal. 
And this has become a vicious cycle. He admits it. He talks about ways that we can overcome it and how we can also sift through it to get to real news versus fake news. But um, if you look at it at that level as a, as a follower of Jesus, mm-hmm. right, what do you value? You do value the truth and you don't love money. Or at least we're struggling to become yeah. like Christ in that way. Yeah. Trying. And so, and so you're, you're going to go into your careers in a system, in a world in which that's already in place. It's going to kind of push you in that direction, yeah. right? Um, and to create content like that and to not worry about the integrity of it because yeah, that's really not yeah. important when you're actually get, serving your bottom line. Yeah. But if you're a follower of Christ and you've thought about that and not thought about it only in the small sense, because I think that we all do think about it in the small sense, like immediately, okay, I'm not going to lie on this one you Facebook know, fa- via Facebook post or yeah. paper or whatever like that. But if you think about it a little bit more systemically maybe, you're going to see like, hmm, yeah. Like I do want to advance my career. I do want to get you know achieve these goals or whatever, but... If I, if I continue this kind of thing, it's just feeding into this broader system. If I do these other things that don't seem to be rewarding, it's going to be feeding into the kingdom. They may not even, nobody else may even know or think about Jesus or about the kingdom. Mm. But uh, let's say that you're talking about journalistic integrity, for example, and you're doing this extra work you're not getting paid for to verify your sources or whatever else like that. And you feel like it's not worth it because then you publish it and you don't have an audience so nobody even reads it or your headline sucked and so nobody clicked on it. Mm. Like it can be very discouraging, but I almost, I don't know if it's saying too much, that's almost what it's like to suffer for the kingdom, mm. as, a, as maybe somebody in media or journalism or something like that. It's like you're making these choices intentionally because you know what God's kingdom is like, and you know you're going to suffer loss in the short term for it, but you stick to it because you're actually hoping for God's kingdom. And in that way, you end up becoming salt and light for the industry. They may not value, they might not recognize you or appreciate what you're doing, and yet your very actions there are changing it because you're, you're doing what he said earlier, like by creating meaning, investing meaning and value and significance in this thing that you think is important, you do affect everything else. Mm. Um, and so that's a small thing. So it matters, you know, in your homework even or whatever like that. Like it might feel like it's just a way to get the grade I need to be able to get to the next level or something. But if you, if you love calm or if you love theology or God or something in these ways, you would think deeply about it and say, oh yeah, this is an opportunity for more than just I got my A or my B or whatever. Like, if I can be practicing those things now, that yeah. those practices of excellence in journalism, it's going to pay dividends for the kingdom. I think with technology folks in particular, kind of going back to that, it's like our friend Tim is a, still at Amazon. He's a programmer on the front end. So he does the website, like user experience, like the, uh, what's that called again? The, user experience design? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the... Um, like the way the way you buy stuff, like the, the oh the checkout yeah flow, process yeah he works on that Shopping I think cart? he hasn't told me this for sure but okay. I think he does this yeah but one time he said that as a programmer and a Christian he could write bad code and get away with it and work faster and, and be done so I was only partially joking earlier but he wants to write good code and he, he do he's doing it for a mega corporation that does commerce mm-hmm. but he wants to write good code because he says this is his witness to his coworkers to write good code for this checkout process on Amazon.com. Yeah, and I think that's one yeah. level. So yeah. the next level up, if I can, if I can do it real quick, I have, yeah, yeah. I have a friend who is a successful professor, did a lot of machine translation oh, and stuff. Okay. Uh, well, he told me that his company got acquired by Facebook and stuff. Oh, man. Well, he told me that Facebook is in the addiction business, and that's why he decided to leave. That's one reason why he decided to leave. Oh, wow. And there was an article recently that came out about, Dust, is it Dustin Moskovich? Like, one of the other founders of Facebook said, we knew what yeah. we were doing in the beginning. One of the early founders. Yeah, yeah, we were in the addiction business. As long as we could get people engaged and get their attention, we could make money. And we just, we didn't care. And now they're, now they're having regret after they've already success, they've been very successful and everything. Now sure. they're having some regrets about the system that they made. Yeah. Um, but that's exactly another place where Christians are not only doing excellent work by the world standards, but they're actually raising the bar. Mm-hmm. 
Christians are raising the bar because they're the ones who are going to say, why would we ever want to get rich off of actually making people addicted to our software and spending all their attention on us just so we can make money? Mm-hmm. That's not what God is like. That's not what the kingdom is like. We want to be helping set people free. We want people to live out to their, to their full identity. You know, we want people to, and then as Christians, we want people to come to at least hear the gospel and know Christ in an intimate way. So I know that not everybody's at the same level of influence, right? Like if we're just like an entry-level employee, what can we do versus if you're like the founder of Facebook? But just having that mindset is like the step one. Thinking it through is like, yeah, my work has meaning for the kingdom. And now I'm going to steward that in a way that's going to be able to create fortunes of the kingdom in this little sphere of influence or this bigger one. And also with our consumer habits online and how we buy technology, buying from ethical companies that don't treat their employees badly and supporting businesses that do a good job, you know, with creating technology yep. is another thing you can Using do. Using your money in that way. Yeah. yeah. Someone call it tithing with your with your credit card, like 10% of your purchases should be toward like ethically driven companies. And this is a Kim and Wong at SBU. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he says that you need to tie with your spending habits, not just mm-hmm. with your, your giving habits, which is kind of interesting as a concept. Yeah, it is. So we've ranged very wide and far and uh, <laughs> talked about a lot of stuff. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, thank you. Now it's time for you guys to ask questions of Mr. Lim here. Questions about technology and the gospel or about artificial intelligence. Amari, go ahead. Um, my question is, as a... As a Excuse me, for lack of a better term, because I am one. As a computer nerd... That's okay. Uh, we accept you as a computer nerd, <laughs> Mari. Um, uh, what do you think about... What do you think about Elon Musk's new project and how he's tried to further uh, AI and its impact on um, how we use technology? So the question was, as a computer nerd, what do you think about Elon Musk's new project about AI and its impact on humanity. So are you referring specifically to the open AI group? Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you explain what that is for those who don't know? Okay, so Elon Musk is concerned that AI is going to take over the world and kill humanity. He's very serious about this. So he invented a nonprofit that he funded significantly. You should look it up on Google, actually. Inventing AI technologies and mitigations. Check it out. To prevent it from taking over the world and destroying all of us. So I I don't know what I think about that (laughs) other than like, you know, Elon Musk is a very wealthy guy. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting use of his money for this purpose. Uh, and I also know that the guy he hired to lead it is really smart because I got to see some of his work. Who is it again? I think, it, is it Andre Karpathy? I think you're right, yeah. Um, yeah, he did a lot of really uh, fantastic deep learning work. So I think that it's, I think it's really cool that they're doing this. And you know what I would love to see, but I, right now I'm a little bit skeptical that it would ever happen, is to have an institute like that invented but with explicitly Christian uh, Christian gospel. ethos, yeah. Yeah, ethos. And yeah. I know there's very wealthy believers who could fund something like that, but most of them are yeah. not in the tech industry. So you yeah. don't have like a Christian Elon Musk saying, I'll just plop down 100 million bucks to <laughs> kind of investigate this. At and, Notre Dame or yeah, uh, Baylor. No, we don't yeah. got that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not yet. Maybe someday soon. Maybe when you guys would be a bazillionaire, you could give uh, Chris a lot of money. <laughs> yes, thank you. And say technology um, and the gospel. So, <laughs> so I think that it's, I think it's, uh, I think it's a yeah. good thing in general. And the more people we have thinking about it, talking about it, the better. Uh, and so you can have Christian voices, you can have secular voices, you can have other religious voices even talking about it. But as long as, as, as we're thinking about it together, I think it's going to be a net win. I think it's going to be a good thing. That's a great question. Other questions? Yeah. Uh, do you think new technology can or will like, potentially take over the church? Um, Ooh. Just because it can like, feed off of what it knows about the Bible already and produce like, a sermon itself and like, kind of mm. take pastors out of the job? Pastor do, Siri. So, do you think that pastors' jobs are threatened by artificial intelligence or <laughs> that churches are in general because it can take over a lot of their jobs of sermon creation, for example, or ministry. and just study the Bible? Yeah. That ties into a broader question that people ask about, can AI create art? Because uh, lit- in literature and sermons, I would consider sure. it an art form. Yeah. 
Okay, I have two thoughts. One is that the answer is yes. A lot of the work that's being done manually today can be automated uh, eventually with enough data. And I also think, though, that um, it's going to raise the bar on pastors. So pastors today can actually buy sermons and pass them off with their own, as their own. You've seen that before, haven't you? I've seen that happen. Yeah. And uh, I consider it an, an ethical breach of trust. Like They're not fulfilling kind of what they're paid to do and also what they're called to do mm-hmm. when they do that. But other people have other reasons why they think it's legit. And I think that AI can definitely supplant that. Um, but I also think it can raise the bar because now for pastors who consider like preaching part of their main calling and their vocation, yeah. they bring something unique to the table. On one level, we believe the Holy Spirit works through human beings and gives them revelation and insight that, that he intends for them to communicate. So that's, that's irreplaceable. I don't think that um, AI will do that. Uh, and on another level, it's going to basically uh, give pastors maybe more even insight and context into the sermon that they're creating so that they get better at what they do. It doesn't have to replace their job. It could be as simple as AI understanding the audience and saying that, hey, these analogies and stories will not make sense to them. You should move it around. Yeah. Or, you know, this is a better hook. Or, you know, your point, your sermon is going too long. You, <laughs> should, you should cut short. Yes. The AI can help in those kinds of ways and raise the bar for the pastor. It's just like what we see AI doing for, like, Go. Do you guys hear about that? How AI beat the best Go players in the world? Do you guys know Go? Not Pokemon Go. Uh, the other <laughs> That'd be <go>. weird. <laughs> so a lot of the best players are not threatened by this because what they say is that, dude, the AI is doing all these crazy things we never thought of before. We're learning from what the AI is discovering as it's playing all these new games. And it's making Go a better game for all of us. It's raising, raising the bar on our game. So I think that when it comes to church and sermons, if you apply AI in that kind of way, it can actually make everything better. But it's going to come with the loss of a lot of, I think, mediocrity, a lot of things that used to be hidden and were not exposed, a lot of weaknesses and inefficiencies and maybe just incompetence that was gonna now be revealed. Like, dude, you really weren't needed to do this job and the AI is gonna do it for you, it's just gonna do it for you. But if you wanna be faithful, you have so many other things you bring to the table. Like you know? human companionship in times of human crisis. Human companionship, listening yeah. to people, Therapy, right? praying yeah. with people and all yeah. those things. Like there's the human things that only humans can uniquely do. So I would argue that AI will help humans to be more human and enable us to do less of the things that maybe are inhuman, <laughs> not trademarked. Uh, <laughs> Yes, that's a, another, another, uh, another TV show. So anyway, hope that yeah. helps answer the question. That's a good answer and a good question. All right, a couple more. Bo, we got. Um, here's one. Uh, could your translation software help connect culture gaps within the church? Like, do you, do you think that uh, just throwing a translation software in there will just like help bridge the, let's say, the, let's say the awkwardness between people within the church? So the question was, do you think that your translation software will bridge the awkwardness between cultures in a church, for example? Um, and the short answer is it's not enough by itself. Mm. But I consider it like a tool. So in that analogy we talked about way earlier, like a shovel, once you have it, well, you might dig more holes. So I kind of consider translation as like once you have it, you actually might start inviting other cultures to your church. Yeah. Because you can, when before you couldn't. And that, that process is going to be a very human process, probably very messy and challenging, but it's not possible when before it really wasn't that possible. It was mm-hmm. very cost prohibitive, very difficult. So from a technology standpoint, my main goal is not to solve all the church's problems when it comes to culture and stuff, <laughs> but just to make it possible in the hopes that the technology will start changing the people to say, yeah. well, now that we can do this, well, it's not right for us not to. Mm-hmm. Like now, now we're intentionally being cliquish or discriminatory or whatever else like that. Uh, let's actually make, a, let's make an attempt at this. Ultimately, though, what it's going to take is what Jesus commands all of us, which is to love your neighbor as yourself, lay down your life for your neighbor, like culture... Being bicultural, I've seen it where it's like, it's hard because you, yeah. you just don't feel like you're at home, right? So you got to give up a lot of things that you care about and make space for the other. 
But when people are doing this in a community together, it can be really beautiful because at the end of the day, everybody gets a little taste of home. Uh, when everybody clings to their own definition of home and culture and stuff, nobody does. Well, you end up with the cliques and the division and everything else like that. So that's my short answer is it won't solve everything, but it could be the first step to opening a lot of possibilities. Great question. Judah. Okay, so I wanted to bring up um, artificial intelligence. So you made an interesting analogy to Genesis 1 through 3. Yeah. Saying that, like, just as God is kind of, is God to humans, so humans can play God to um, artificial intelligence. That's interesting. But on principle, should we have the power to play God in the first place? Uh, the question is, in, <laughs> by analogy, if, if God created humans and now humans are creating AI, can humans, should humans in principle be able to play God towards AI? Nice light question for you, Chris, yeah. That's a really, uh, <laughs> That's it's great, a really yeah, it's a really interesting question. He's on the debate team, by the way. Okay, yeah. well, <laughs> let's debate this, because <laughs> that's where be insight careful. comes from. He's won, he's won some, some I believe tournaments, it. Yeah. I believe it. So I, I, like, I'm not going to try to nitpick with like, definitions about to debate or something, because I think that there is a heart behind that question, which is really saying is that, yeah, humans may be in that position towards AI, but should we be, right? Uh, should we be giving AI a sense of freedom where we don't even control them anymore? And that's another interesting analogy about yeah. God, free will, humanity, sovereignty, like all those interesting things. Are we going to design our AI to be um, um, Calvinistic or Arminian? Yes. Or, yeah, or you make yeah. both and you see which one wins, right? Arminian. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so, so that, you know, I, think that that, I think that's fertile ground for a lot more interesting discussion. Now, the question of should or should not, I think, may not actually be as relevant in the sense that we already are. You see, sure. whether right you now, as yeah. a Christian create an AI and choose to give it freedom is separate from whether somebody in China or Russia or maybe in the United States decides to not give it freedom. Oh. And so that's the thing about technology is that it's a, it's a capability now that almost everybody can get, mm -hmm. right? And in that sense, it's kind of universalizing. And now everybody gets to make that choice about do they want to play God towards it or not? Um, and then humans can constrain one another to say, no, you should not be able to legally or whatever, with, you know, what are the rights? And policies, and, yeah, yeah, we can end up doing yeah. that. Um, but I think that... In the same way that um, God loves us, he created us, we rebelled against him, we sinned, and he sent his son to die for us and to save us, to redeem us, not to destroy us, and to give us a new creation where we would reign, reign again and fulfill our purpose and destiny that he had for us. I think that human beings in reflecting God's image towards AI would basically have to do a similar thing. Like, we must be responsible for the things that we've made and the consequences of its actions. And stewards. And, and stewards of it. And we have the right to destroy it in the same way that God has the right to judge the world. But we may choose not to. And we may choose to find ways to actually redeem it so that AI, which in our case is beyond, could be beyond us eventually, is something that fulfills its purpose in God's creation. Um, and I think that that's a, a useful analogy, at least, as we think about it, even if it's not the answer uh, well, time for one more question from the floor. Uh, uh, go ahead, Anna. Uh, you talked a bit about like viewing the church from an inward perspective and an outward perspective, mm. and so you talked, like, mentioned how there's ways to empower a technology person from an outward perspective. What does that look like? Like, what are suggestions you would have for a church or ways to go about trying to empower somebody in the tech world instead of just from the inward perspective? So the question was. Um, you talked about an inward perspective that the church has about people in tech versus the outward perspective. And what would it practically look like to empower people from that outward perspective in the tech world? So that's an amazing question because it's one that I've also been asking for a long time. And with all the pastors I meet with, they're, like, they're asking a similar question. And there's, there's a lot of possibilities. I actually gave a talk that maybe Professor Will can send a link to if you want to know like yeah. five ways. Um, but I want to answer your question in a way that might be more relevant here. 
right? Are you are you in a, a role where you might become a pastor one day or something like that? Or no, but my dad's a tech guy. Your dad's a tech guy. And, and you also work on campus for our IT department as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So tell me. I mean, let me ask you about your dad. What gets him really excited when it comes to tech? Like, what does he get excited about? videography okay because I what I would think is that you know tech people are different there's it's not monolithic but they like different things and it might be as simple as basically finding out what it is that you actually like and think about hmm so instead of me coming to you, it's like hey we need like we need people volunteers to serve food on Thanksgiving Day to the homeless or to make sack lunches or something which is not bad it's a noble, noble it's, thing. it's a good thing yeah. but you're talking about empowering tech workers right find out what it is that makes them tick what is it that they love to do and then think about how we can help them do more of that activity except it's explicitly towards some sort of uh, God-centered purpose. So I believe that all work is, can be worshiped towards God, even if you just work at like Boeing and make wings, for example. I don't think that's any less than being a pastor. Or buffalo wings to make wings. Buffalo wings and make wings. Yeah, both kinds of wings. Um, <laughs> I'm hungry, I didn't have lunch yet. But I think that there's something unique that the church is about, right? The church is about the gospel and uh, making disciples. And so there's something unique to say that our explicit purpose for this project might be X, right? Sure. That's going to serve some kingdom purpose that's explicitly stated, because you wouldn't explicitly say that in Boeing, let's say, or at Buffalo Wings. Um, but then trying to line up their skills. So that thing that he loves to do, how can he, what can he do with that towards that big challenge, right? So maybe a challenge is something like the scriptures talk about, uh, uh, feeding the hungry. I'm just picking something you know, out of the blue. But not, instead of thinking about feeding the hungry, it's like, I'll just make a sack lunch and give it to this person. You think... Oh, as a tech person, what would you do? Or as a videographer, as a storyteller, what would you do? Right? As a communication specialist, what would you do? Not just like, I'm just going to do the sack lunch, but like maybe you have a Twitter audience with like a million people, what would you do with that? Right? Or your tech worker can build some sort of app that can basically say, hey, if you have extra food, you can like, you know, just give it to somebody who needs it right now and, and make it so that people are sharing their food all the time. Uh, and so you just build that, you build that app instead. Uh, and then you partner with that Twitter guy so that the app gets marketed and then everybody starts sharing their food. Uh, I was just reading Isaiah 58 where it talked about sharing your food with the hungry and it struck me that it was talking about sharing your food, not just giving money to like the food, uh, the food bank and just kind of mm -hmm. donating. It's actually like almost like eating your food. Your food. Yeah. I'm eating the same food that you're eating yeah. and we eat together. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I don't think that food banks are bad, but it's like, hey, you can use tech now maybe to foster something more about God's kingdom uh, like that, to bring people together to have a meal together. And that would be sharing food and be, you know, using your skills and tech and also fulfilling a, a gospel purpose. It could be really awesome. So that's what I would do.